Hi everybody, welcome to Pivot and Thrive. This is your host, Kim Shea, and today I am speaking with Carrie Flanagan, and she is an author, a writing consultant, a presenter, and a teacher, and a freelance writer with over 20 years of experience in the publishing industry. I think she'll have a lot to share today. She's also the author of the Writer's Digest Guide to Magazine Article Writing. You might not have thought about that before, but um, she has a lot of reasons for why she's doing that. She's also the creator of the Magazine Writing Blueprint. She's published 17 other books. And she has won many awards for her writing. She has articles and essays that have appeared in publications and anthologies, including Writer's Digest, Alaska Magazine, The Writer, Family Fun, Chicago Tribune, and six Chicken Soup for the Soul books. She's also a founder of Northern Colorado Writers, and now she's also the co-founder of the Wordsmith Institute, where she helps people by doing or helps coordinate one-day online writing conferences and events. She's really got a very extensive background in writing. I think we've got the right person here to talk to us about how you can write your novel after you retire. So welcome, Carrie, to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk about writing. Thank you. What is your background like? You know, who are you? How'd you fall into this? Um, Gosh, like you said, I've been doing this over 20 years now. My background was actually in elementary school teaching. So that's how I started my career. And along the way, got interested in writing. Um, Initially, I had self-published a children's book. Uh, Gosh, published that in 1998. So a long time ago, way before Amazon and Kindle Direct Publishing. Uh, And hooked up with a writer's group. And it was in that writing group where uh, there was another woman who was writing for magazines. And I really liked the idea of that. It, it seemed like a good fit at the time because I had I was working full time teaching. I had three kids at home, husband. So trying to do trying to fit in like a whole book or something, you know, a novel just seemed overwhelming. So I really liked magazine writing. So over the course of the past 20 some years um, have really built up the freelancing and ended up teaching writing classes on you know magazine writing and it there were so many there's so many different things along the way there but um, I have just learned so much I continue to write for magazines I work with authors to help them self-publish I help them with their manuscripts to fill those out and make them more sellable. Uh, And in 2018, that's when I had my magazine writing book was published. So 17 of my books are self-published and then the magazine writing one is traditionally published. So that's just a big overview. But I was not one of those people who always said, oh, I want to be a writer when I grow up. No, no, but it just happened. And after I was doing it for a few years, ended up resigning from teaching and have been doing this ever since. Wow. That's really cool. Um, How does, I mean, there's a million questions to ask you, of course, but how does magazine writing differ from writing a book? I mean, obviously it's not as long, but are there other style differences or things that people would need to know about that? Gosh, that's a big question. So Definitely, the process is a little bit different. Um, it, you come up with your idea, then you formulate your query letter. So it's basically a pitch to the magazine editors um, okay. with your idea, you know, what you are proposing, like how long your 
thinking your article would be, why you're the perfect person to write it. So then you send the pitch, and if the editor likes it, then they assign the article, and that's when I write it. I don't write it beforehand. Unless I'm doing a personal essay, that's different. I'll usually, I will send the whole thing. Okay. So to me, it's a very different process than writing for books. Plus with magazine writing, if I send a query and the magazine says, no, thank you, I can turn around and send another query with another idea. Whereas with a book, if I send it to an agent or a publisher, they say, no, thank you. I can't submit the same book idea. I can submit another book idea, but yeah, books take a little while to write. <laughs> so yeah, a little bit more of an investment in there on, yes. on yeah. levels. Yeah. Um, and do magazines always respond back when you send a query letter? Are they pretty good about that? Most of the time they are. Um, some of some don't, you know, I always follow up. I'll send a query two weeks later. I'll send a follow up. Um, sometimes I'll send a third email. And then if I don't hear, I'll just let it go. But most of the time they respond, which is good. That, yeah, that's nice. Um, and then can people expect to be paid for doing that? I know there's some you can submit to places and it's just for the um, prestige of having your name there. But yeah, I'm prestige doesn't help me pay bills. So, <laughs> I, so I am a big proponent on getting paid for your work, even if that's a regional parenting magazine that pays $50 for your article. I feel like it just helps the industry overall, when people can value themselves and their writing, even at the very beginning, um, it's over 20 years, I would say there may have been two times that I have published something for free. And there would have been a different reason, whether it was a cause I was trying to help or something like that. But I yeah. do believe writers should get paid something. There are Currently, over 7,000 magazines in print in the United States. Wow. And that's not the digital, you know, that's not the online magazines. So there are plenty of options out there. So there are many more than what you see on the newsstands at the grocery store and Barnes and Noble. So definitely just get out there and find the ones that are paying. Okay, so how would somebody get started if that's something... They want to do. They want to go write an article for a magazine about something they have some expertise in. And the nice thing about mm -hmm. people starting to write when they are retired is that they have a lot of expertise on a lot of different subjects by that time. So that's true. how will they get started? Um, well, in my book, I do lay out the whole thing. So, okay. so it goes step by step in the book or in the magazine writing blueprint that I put together as well. So uh, that will definitely help you help people get going in the right direction. Uh, but study magazines, start reading magazines, um, paying more attention to the style. Do they, you know, does a certain magazine have a lot of expert quotes? Is it told in first person, third person? Are they long articles, short articles? It's a matter of doing that research up front and learning what's current in the industry. And it then, start thinking about, all right, if I had an idea for this magazine, think AARP, uh, what, what would I want to write about? And, and start keeping a list of ideas. And then when you feel like you have something that's could be put into an article, then start looking at where that can be placed and look at their submission guidelines. They will always have guidelines online okay. on what they're looking for, what they pay, um, and follow those guidelines and 
put together a good query letter and send it off. And then do you start to get to know the people at the magazine where they know your stuff, they know your work. And so that's that- it. It really does. When I first started, I was sending to lots of different places, just try, you know, I was sending travel articles. I was sending parenting articles. I'm just to kind of get a feel for different things. And when you're just starting out, that's not a bad approach to see what works, what you like writing, uh, where you seem to fit in. And now I write about writing and <laughs> it's pretty much all I've written you know, in the last five or six years. So I do a lot of feature articles for the writer magazine and I do know the editor there. So I don't have to do a big formal query with her anymore. I can just pitch just a quick paragraph. Hey, here, here's an idea for Europe, you know, for the February issue. Yeah. And that's always nice when you can form that relationship with an editor. So that yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I'm also thinking if uh, retirees want to do a lot of traveling, this is something they can yes. take with. Absolutely. So Going. research, yeah, there's lots of articles even on how to do travel writing. Um, but typically for travel writing, it you'll want to think about it while you're on your trip and pitch after. There's this, uh, temptation to pitch in magazine beforehand saying, Hey, I'm going over to Italy. Would you be interested in an article? Well, Italy's been done. Most places have been done, but until you get over there, you may not know the slant or the angle that you want to take. So it's better to do it after the trip. Um, Okay. And, and while you're on the trip, just be keeping, just be curious. If it's, if it's a new place, that's fairly easy because we get excited when we go new places I'd be looking around at potential ideas, keep a notebook and just jot them down. Don't ruin your whole vacation by just <laughs> focusing on that, but just jot down things and you, and then you can work on that when you get home. Um, but definitely be paying attention, pick up brochures, take pictures. This is great. This sounds really useful to a lot of people, something that they can okay. do. Um, and I know a lot of people want to write their novel. That's something that people have, put off because they just don't have the time in their regular day-to-day lives, raising kids, doing their job. And, and so what advice do you have about that? How do you um, get your novel published? How do you write? Are you thinking, are you thinking fiction, nonfiction? Probably Uh, fiction. I'm guessing is what you want to write about. I come across lots of retirees who are also looking at doing their memoir and writing their story. Yeah. And sometimes they want to do that for their family and friends. And that's the goal. And that's a great goal. So, you know, that's, you don't have to worry about seeking a traditional publisher or anything like that. It's, you can write the memoir, put, um, publish it on Kindle direct publishing KDP. And then it would be available, but, you know, and with the end goal being your friends and family. So that's a little, different than somebody who wants to get their book traditionally published or self-publish their book. Um, and back to magazines and memoir, also personal essays are a nice way to go or an e- easier way to break into magazines as well. So for people who like telling personal stories, think about that for magazines and that's a little shorter than a full book. Okay. That's um, good advice. In terms of writing a novel, uh, once again, it's studying 
what's out there. If the end goal is publication, whether that's self-publishing or traditional, you need to be paying attention and learning all you can about the craft. Uh, we People like the idea of being a writer and then realize that there's work involved to do it, to do it well, like anything, you know, nobody would expect to hand somebody a guitar and say here, you know, in two weeks, I expect you to be proficient on all of this. So it takes time. So people need to be patient with themselves, take the time to learn um, what's out there and then start is got to jump in and start writing and not worry about having that perfect book with a first draft. Okay. People get very caught up in expecting themselves to have this amazing first draft. Well, it's a draft and you can't edit something you don't have down on paper. So get it down on paper then you can go back and revise and all those things you were studying about what makes a good book and good you know, sentence flow and story structure, then you can go back during the revision phase phase and polish that and make it even better. Okay. Should they expect to hire an editor to help out to have a second set of eyes? Um, once again, depending on your goal or how you, it's always good to have other people look at it. Honestly, I, you know, I'm still in the same critique group that I joined 20 some years ago. And I know I can bring anything to them and they will help me work through it. So that's helpful to find people that you can trust, not somebody who's going to read it and say, man, that is amazing. No, that doesn't help me at all. <laughs> not when it, I'm in that, that part, once it's published, then I don't get them. That's fine. Um, but either find a writing buddy, a writing group of people that will give you honest and constructive feedback that's definitely helpful. And then when you're ready to send it off, if you feel it needs another set of eyes, somebody else who you don't know, then that would be a good time to hire an editor, um, like a developmental editor who will read for story and characters and flow and make sure everything is good. For people who are looking to traditionally publish, uh, you don't really need to worry about copy editing, which is the grammar, punctuation, spelling unless you feel your writing is just, is not, if you don't have those skills at all, then maybe. But otherwise, if you're seeking a traditional publisher, whether that's through an agent or a publisher, they will have their own editors for that stuff, okay. for the for the grammar and punctuation. Um, but you can, people can definitely hire somebody to look at the story. Okay. Um, you mentioned having some people to look over your work. So, mm -hmm. Do you feel that being a part of a writing community is important? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have my writer's group that we meet every Wednesday night. So I will be going there this evening. Um, and we, if we have things that we need feedback on, we will bring those and read them aloud. So somebody else, if I bring something tonight, somebody else will read it aloud so I can hear how it sounds. Okay. Which I like. Uh, so it's a little different format than other groups. Um, but I like getting that initial reaction from people uh, and seeing if they're laughing in the right spots, if they're tearing up in the right spots. Other groups will have people submit their work online. Like they may have a Google doc or something, but they'll submit it or email it to people ahead of time. And everybody in the group is supposed to go through and give their feedback on it. 
different oh. approach. Just depends on what you need. I like the idea of not having to do that during the week and just being able to show up and we can go through it together in person and we meet every week. So that works. Some groups don't, they may meet once a month. Um, so mm-hmm. just people have to look around to see what's going to work best and then look for a writing, like you said, a writing community or writing organization. Um, I had started an organization here where I live and ran that for 10 years. So it was Northern Colorado writers and The whole purpose was to provide that support and encouragement for writers. So I offered classes. We, you know, did weekly coffees. I had a conference and a retreat. And most cities have writing groups like that. So I highly recommend reaching out to those as well. It sounds really nice, actually. And plus, it's also social. So Mm -hmm. writer, you could be by yourself a lot. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) That's great. Um, so now we talked about self-publishing and tr- traditional publishing. Mm-hmm. And I know that that some people feel like there's a problem with self-publishing, like there's a stigma. They don't feel like it counts. So can you address that, please? Sure, sure. Um, I just did an article for the writer that's out now, October, um, on the current state of self-publishing. The good news is that stigma, it, it's it's getting less and less, um, which is great because as I said, I self-published my first book in 1998. Uh, that was a long time ago. I don't know if I'm actually, I don't know if I said that, but I did. I self-published in 1998 and things are, were very different than they are now. So, um, it's really leaning toward people who are looking at doing a good job and more professional job on their self-publishing so can people upload a book to KDP? Anybody? Sure. And it doesn't have to be great. It can be anything. But what's happening is the good, the good writing is rising to the top. And that's what we wanted to have wanted to happen. So gosh, 10 years ago, there was the whole flood, you know, ebooks came out and the market was just flooded with lots and lots of free and 99 cent books and mm-hmm. quality wasn't always the best. There weren't the programs that we have now to do good formatting. So that took a while to recover from. And I think it's finally going in that direction. Um, We do have the tools for for people to do great formatting. There's lots of resources on how to self-publish, lots of groups that can help you. So there's really isn't any reason why people don't wouldn't put out a good quality book. And readers expect that now. I think early on they were just, it was just so new. They were, they didn't mind as much. Mm. Um, So the stigma isn't there as much. The tools, there's lots of tools available for people. Uh, The one thing I caution though, is that there are also companies out there who are looking to just prey on a writer's dreams and take advantage of them, unfortunately. All right. And it's so frustrating. Um, so I just caution people, uh, when you're looking at hiring a company, cause these companies will you know, say, we will get you published. We'll get you marketing. We'll get your books all over the place. And they may get the books out there, but y- you go in with this assumption that they're going to help with the editing and they're not. If you look at the fine print of what they're offering, they'll do a read through and give you a little feedback, uh, or marketing means they're going to put up 
two Facebook posts and that's it. Or so people just need to be really careful because some of those companies will charge up to ten or fifteen thousand dollars to get your book out there. And to me, um, you can get that. I tell people to look at maybe fifteen hundred to three thousand dollars. Sure, it's going to cost to put your book out there. Okay. If you're going to get an editor, um, hire a cover designer. If you are not a graphic designer, don't do your own cover. <laughs> people have high expectations. There's certain expectations and genres, and then people are looking for good covers. So those are the things that I always hire out. The cover, I hire out that final edit, you know, with the grammar, punctuation. And if you're not sure to how to do formatting, then you can hire that out as well. And then if you want help with marketing, to me, if you had $10,000, you pay, you know, you get the cover, you get the formatting and the editing, then take that remaining money and hire somebody to help you market the book. Somebody whose specific job is marketing. Okay. And as opposed to those companies where you're just one of you know, thousands of people and all they really wanted was your money up front. They have no desire to help you succeed. Yeah. Uh, um, so. I know there's a organization um, Ally, A-L-L-I, but it's the Alliance of Independent Publishers. And they have lots of great resources online, including looking at companies like that. There are legitimate ones that truly want to help authors, and you just have to make sure you look into that. But look up, look at Ally's website, and I can email you that link. Okay, thank uh, you. Yeah, I want to make sure we include the links for yeah. Everything you're talking about in here. And so is some of this covered in your book that I presume about to help people with the strategy of it? Or is it more about the writing? Tell me about your book. My book, it's all about how to write and sell magazine articles. So okay. in terms of the self-publishing, no. Um, but I have, if, if you go to my website and go to where it says my clips and look at my past articles, um, most of them have the PDFs of the articles and I have lots of articles on self-publishing okay. um, resources. People can even reach out to me. I'm happy to send a list of current resources or, uh, and yeah, I'm happy to email those. All right. Thank you. And so we will have your, your website and everything mm -hmm. and the links and the, and the uh, show notes. So people will be able to contact you there. Okay. Yeah. You have a lot of valuable information that, um, people just wouldn't know. They would have no way of knowing about this if they haven't been a writer right. their whole life. So you've, you've gone through it all for everybody, which is really cool. <laughs> and then you were asking about traditional publishing too. So yeah. to me, self-publishing and traditional, both viable options. They, they truly are. Um, when it just depends on what the person wants. Obviously with self-publishing, all the responsibility is on you. Uh, doesn't mean you have to do it by yourself. Like I said, I still hire out things, but it means I'm overseeing the whole process. And because of that, the royalties that I get are higher than if, than like for my traditional book. Okay. Because I'm investing all the time and money into getting that book out. When you go with a traditional publisher, um, they're investing in you. So a traditional publisher, you shouldn't pay anything at all. A true traditional publisher does not require money up front. And so they're going to pay for cover design, the formatting. They're going to create all the marketing, you know, the back cover copy and get it distributed. 
Uh, and in return, you get an average of 8 to 12% of royalties. So is it lower? Sure. But they have to pay their editors, their cover designers. You know, there's a lot of people in the mix. And traditional publishers do a great job of getting it distributed to all the bookstores, which is harder for self-publishers. It, it really is. Um, so that's the advantage with traditional. It, and one thing that people tend to think if they go traditional, then that means they don't have to do any of the marketing which is not true. <laughs> so <laughs> you still need to help. You still need to um, do what you can to have people go look for your book and order your book. Because uh, even once your book comes out, you're going to be on their radar for four to six months, and then they have to move on to the next books. I mean, that's just the reality. Unless it takes off and you're the next John Grisham, mm. uh, it the the marketing money is yeah goes they they have they kind of they pick who they're going to put their marketing dollars behind based on what they think is going to sell well because so yeah it's just different yes it absolutely is a business and what's interesting if you think about with um, publishers their clientele or who they're targeting is not the reader they're targeting bookstores and booksellers or sorry bookstores so they want to get it as wide as possible and then the bookstores will help spread the word about it. But truly, they're, who they're trying to reach is the bookstores to keep it on their shelves. Okay. How does Amazon figure into all this? Amazon is most people's bookstore. so Exactly. See, and that's the other thing. So if it's important for you to, you to have your book in a bookstore, then traditional is probably the way to go. But as you just said, so many people buy online. And you can buy print books online, ebooks, audiobooks, all of them are available online. And it's about a half and half. Half people are buying every all their books online and the other half are still going to bookstores. That's a lot of people. Half of all book buyers, oh, that's a large market. And that's where self-publishers have done a really good job because they are, most of them are just focusing their um, marketing efforts online. And directing people to not just Amazon, but Apple and Barnes and Noble. Kobo is another one. Uh, they're more international. But the book set I have put out on my own and with my co-author, you know, we have those available around the world. And it's always fun to see oh. that when we have sales in Germany and, uh. um, and the UK. So it allows authors to get a really wide platform for their books they just have to let people know about them because mm-hmm. um, there are so many books online you just have to do what you can to make your books get in front of more people that's pretty cool that's pretty neat and magazines i would assume the same thing there's people all over the world absolutely goals too yep yep because a lot of times they'll be online so the ones i do for the writer they'll be in the print magazine and then eventually they put them online mm. and yeah they're available there that's pretty neat that must be a really good feeling mm-hmm. yeah um, what about being a freelance uh, uh, sorry a ghostwriter what about being a ghostwriter have you done that oh yes I'm in the process of writing one right now um, it's a memoir business book this is the second one I've ghostwritten um, do you mean in terms of people becoming a ghostwriter yeah, or like- hiring a ghostwriter um I guess both, because what if somebody <laughs> wants to have their book out, but they don't really right. want to 
or they don't feel like they have the skill set. And then if somebody would like to be interested in doing that, um, tell, if you tell us what that's like for you. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely a lot of work <laughs> because, yeah, you're writing somebody else's story. Uh, I'm with this, but the, the first one I did, I, I was working directly with the client. Um, so, with, but this one I'm doing now, I'm working with a, a company and there are ghostwriting companies out there that you can apply for. Mm. And what I like is I'm getting paid a little bit less, but I'm not having to deal with billings or, um, you know, all the business side of it. Okay. I just get paid my hourly rate and then the company deals with the rest of the stuff. So I like that. So um, that's the advantage to going with a ghostwriting uh, company. And then it's, you know, a matter of what I'm doing now. I had interviewed the client. I think we did about four or five interviews, ended up with about a hundred pages of transcripts. And wow. then I take all that information, create an outline and he approves, you know, the client will approve the outline. And once that's done, I'll write the first chapter, make sure I get approval on that to make sure I got the voice correct and then the right tone. Um, and then go from there and then finish, finish the book. So yeah, it's quite a, quite a process. Yeah. Takes about this one. By the time it's done, it'll probably have been six months. Oh, what? The first one I did took about a year. It was a little longer. Mm. And so then your names, when you do ghostwriting, your name's not on there anymore. No. And it's not my story. Ultimately, when I'm writing, like for this one, I have to get into the client's head basically. And I'm writing in a voice that's very different from my own, very <laughs> East Coast, edgy, direct, raw voice, which is definitely not me. Huh. But it's kind of fun. It's like a, it's a character. So I just become that character and write it because this one's in first person. Not all of them are, but this one okay. is. Yeah, it sounds almost like acting or something. Like yes, it is. So it is really cool. Um, so speaking of outlines, so uh, when someone's writing a novel, is it better to sit down and map it all out or their memoir, or whatever, and map it all out, have that outline right there? Or is it better to just go ahead and go with it and see what happens? What do you recommend? Uh, there's different personalities. So the, the one, you know, there's the outliners, the plotters, and then there's what's called the pantsers. They fly by the seat of their pants <laughs> and they have an idea and they just go with it. Um, and you have to find what works best for you. Because it, to tell somebody who really is a pantser and they just love that creative energy and just being able to go wild to get them to try to outline, it's really hard. It just doesn't fit who they are. So I'm never one to say, oh, you have to do it this way. Okay. Because you got to find what works for you. Um, personally, I do, like, when I write with my co author, we outline very, we have very in depth outlines, but there's two of us. We need to both make sure we're on the mm-hmm. same page um, with our stories. And, and I think coming from nonfiction, that's, you know, doing magazine writing for so many years where I'm pulling together research and I'm outlining and getting it and putting it all together. That's just how my brain works. 
I can't imagine just sitting down and writing without some sort of plan, but that's just me. Um, but in memoir, I would suggest, even though I just said, just go for it with memoir. It is your life that you're writing about at least have some idea, even if you just want to let it flow more organically, but have some idea of where your story is starting and stopping. Good memoirs don't cover somebody's whole life. There's usually something unique, you know, you know, a short snapshot of somebody's life. If you're wanting it to be just like a general for the general audience, for your friends and family, sure, that would be, they may want to know about your whole life. But think about the memoirs out there. I don't know if you ever read Wild by Cheryl Strayed. No. So it was just her doing hiking the Pacific Northwest Trail by herself and kind of her journey and self-discovery. It wasn't her whole life. It was just that, you know, a couple of years in there and that was it. Ah. Um, so it to think about what it is you want to cover in a memoir, that would be good to have an idea. Otherwise, yeah. it's overwhelming. It's your whole life. And if you're retired, that's a lot of decades behind you. <laughs> so, and it, what, for everything. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So you mentioned co-authoring. What is that mm-hmm. like? Oh, we have so much fun. Um, yeah. yeah. Chuck and I gosh, have been friends for about 10 years and as o- always have supported each other with her writing. Is one of my go-to people if I needed feedback on something in addition to my writer's group. And then four years ago, we thought it would be fun to try to write together. And we started with romance. Um, so we did some romantic comedies under the pen name C.K. Wiles. And those were fun. So we published four. And then now we're working on sci-fi and fantasy books. So we have a fantasy series that uh, the Judas Files, which we have four books out right now, and the fifth will be out next year. And then a sci-fi series, The Racks, and we just wrapped up the third one in that. And those are under C.G. Harris. So we have two pen names to keep those two worlds separate. Uh, But we brainstorm the ideas together come up with a basic storyline, then we outline the whole book chapter by chapter. And then Chuck writes the first draft. He's an extremely fast writer. He can Mm. crank out a first draft in about six to eight weeks, which I have to say is, yeah, I I can't even imagine doing that. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is. And he's retired now. He was a firefighter and he's now retired. But even when he was working, he would still, he's still fast. But now he dedicates most mornings to just the writing. And then once he's done with the first draft, it comes back to me. And then I do my developmental editing, which I love. So I will go through and I will fill it out, typically add more emotion. He's not a very emotional person in his writing. (laughs) So I will fill that out. I will write more um, and then send it back to him. And we go back and forth a couple more times till we feel like it's ready to go. Uh, and then we will send it to a copy editor before we put it out there to the world and hire That's a cover designer. But it is fun. It is. I really, I really like the process. It's and it's just nice to have somebody in there with you doing it. You know, you can share in the successes and, and yeah 
complain when it's not selling as well as you'd hoped. <laughs> we also help you though to keep it moving to stay on task or just you by yourself. I, yes. For years and years and years, I guess, to get your novel done. Absolutely. I'm definitely deadline driven. And the fact that I'm accountable to have my part of it done by a certain time helps so much. That's really cool. Yeah. That's neat. Um, in your notes, because I have some notes here from you, um, mm-hmm. you talk about uh, building an author newsletter list. Can you tell me what that is? Oh, sure. Um, it's really important if you're, well, definitely if you're self-publishing, but then traditional publishing as well. But it's a way to build some, build your audience, your platform in a way where people are giving you permission to email them because it's the most direct way to reach out to your readers. And there's great resources out there now to help you build that reader list, um, story origin, book funnel, where you can do newsletter swaps with other authors who write in the same genre. So if you wrote fantasy, then my book, you would highlight my book in your newsletter. I would highlight yours in mine. And I usually give away a free book, a free novella, something and in exchange for their emails so that people who want to read that. And it was a, it's a great way to build it up. And it's people who want to read your work anyway. So they're not going to sign up and give you their email if they don't want to read that book or short story or whatever you're giving away. So that's been tremendous. Um, okay. And being consistent with a newsletter, whether it's once a like month or we well, do the Chuck and I do our sci-fi fantasy newsletter twice a month. We're not doing the romance one right now. We're just trying. To, we're just focusing in one direction. And then for my writing one, I do it once a month. Wow, that um, sounds like a lot of work. Sounds like you're working. Yeah. I mean, just uh-huh. <laughs> all the time. Well, so uh, yeah. let me ask about writer's block because that's a big thing that readers have to deal with. And um, you're writing all the time. Do you ever have writer's block? What do you do for it when you have it? Um, I don't know if it's writer's block or writer's procrastination. I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> there are times I just don't want to do it. But when you're under assignment for something or a deadline, it, I don't really have that luxury of not doing it. You know, I'm working on an article now for the writer on how to write romantic comedies. I, I have to get it to her by the deadline, which is next week. Um, otherwise, I'm not going to get paid and she won't hire me back. <laughs> so that helps. I just have to sit down and I just have to do it. Uh, sitting at a blank page, you know, or your computer, it is, it can be daunting. So at times what I will do, like when I start a brand new article, I will take my query letter that I wrote and I will put it, I, I will cut and paste it into my document. So I no longer have a blank page. Uh, and there's something, there's something about it. You're like, oh, okay. I just have to now go from there. So I look at the word count and it's like, oh, I already have 300 words. Great. Uh, and it's just, I'm just messing with my brain is all I'm doing. Yeah. But then I can delete it. You know, so I start writing and then I delete it. Um, fiction, you could do the same thing. Just start typing. Just type out a scene or type out about your character or type how much you don't want to write and just start doing it and just get in the motion. I feel like it jump starts us where we're just writing. Yeah. Um, or go somewhere 
besides your house. I like to go to coffee shops and geez, 2020, the pandemic really messed mm-hmm. with me there. I just like to be around the energy of other people. So I'll put in my headphones and I'm listening to my music, but it, I, it just helps. And I have nothing else to distract me. I can't go unload the dishwasher. I can't vacuum. Uh, so I have to sit there and that helps as well. So change yeah. your location, change where you write can get that creative energy going again. That that makes sense. That's really good. That's a good point. And anybody who's an entrepreneur or anybody who's working from home knows it's so easy to find a million other things that must be done right <laughs> now other than work. Right. So, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. How about audiobooks? Do you do you have some of those? Yes, we do. Oh. We have audiobooks for the fantasy, the urban fantasy series. Um, so for audiobooks. And I love listening to audiobooks. Chuck loves listening to audiobooks. And it is the fastest growing segment of the industry mm-hmm. right now. Uh, because we have so many options on how to listen. So on our phone, you can listen if you have a device like Alexa. I can't say it. Start. <laughs> um, or Google or something. Then you can listen there. Mm-hmm. So I will tell her to start a story while I'm getting ready in the morning. And so I, I love it. And in the car and obviously anywhere while you're gardening, cooking. So audiobooks are huge. And um, we found a great narrator and tracked him down. He's an mm-hmm. actor out of L.A. and does voice work as well for the big publishers. And he agreed to do our books. And we love it because he performs the books. He has okay. different voices for all the characters, and it's such a fun re- listen. Oh. I mean, he, it sounds even great. though we we wrote it, it's still fun to listen. I'll get sucked back into the story again when I hear McLeod and do his thing. That's awesome. great. That's really mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. There's. An, I have a question for you. This is a silly question, but you have so many books that you've done in magazine articles, and. Again, this is a silly question, but so Shakespeare, there's always this controversy about how could Shakespeare possibly have written all those plays in his lifetime? So from your perspective, is that possible? God, how many did he end up writing? I don't know. I'm not oh. up on my history. <laughs> I don't know. Um, there are people that, yeah, there, well, and he had to do everything by hand, but he also didn't have the internet and Facebook to distract him. True. So, there are people that will do, you know, lots of, you know, they have 30, 40 books out. Um, they just are determined and dedicated and have a schedule. And if you just stay on it, yes, I think people it can do quite a few. Um, there are people that will put out five to 10 books a year. They just keep going. I know. I know. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're essentially doing that with all of your writing. So <laughs> it's really, it's really admirable. And I could see for a lot of people that you really have a recipe for how to do this and do it well and to really be contributing and sharing your expertise and your creativity with the world and what you know how to do. I, I think it sounds, it's pretty neat. You sound like you're a wonderful teacher. So I'm happy to be able to share what you do so people can follow you and get information from you and, and, dip their toe in the water and just start doing it. That's the thing, right? Just start doing it. Exactly. Just give it a try. It's not, yeah. There's no harm in doing that. 
So, uh, Carrie, I want to thank you for coming on to the show today. You're just a wealth of information about how somebody can get started and really succeed if they just apply themselves, it sounds like, and follow what you've been doing. And um, I want to reiterate that Carrie has her own website. It's carrieflanagan.com, and I will have the link for you. But in case you want the spelling, because you just want to write it down now, it's Carrie, it's K-E-R-R-I-E, and Flanagan, F-L-A-N-A, G-A-N, carrieflanagan.com. And she's got links to everything she's got there in terms of uh, including her books. But I will also have the direct links to her books, the Writer's Digest Guide to Magazine Article Writing and the Magazine Writing Blueprint. And if you go to her website, you can also find all the links to her books that she's done with uh, Chuck Harrelson and the pen names there. So you can start finding her because she really has a lot of information. She's a really good uh, role model for how to do writing. And um, so thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Carrie. I really hope people will listen and, and start doing what you're doing. Take well, it thank a step you so much for having me, Kim. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pivot and Thrive. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you know anybody who you think would be a great subject for this podcast, please have them contact me. They can go to my website, retirementpurposecoach.com. And at the bottom of that front page, there is a contact section and they can just reach me right there. I'd love to hear from them. I am a certified retirement coach, so if you need any help from me with your retirement so that you have your own success story, you can contact me there as well. I'd like to thank Bokuwa and Wizzy2k for the use of their song, Will You Stay With Me? I have the link to that song in the show notes. Have an excellent rest of your day, whatever it is that you're doing. I hope it's purposeful. You'll enjoy your life so much better if that's your focus. Bye for now. Oh,